Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. And I want you to think for a moment today about what you were doing 14 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Where were you living? Who were you working with? Who were you hanging out with? What kind of life were you leading at that point? 14 years ago, it's been a while, right? Well, for me, I was looking down with great excitement at all the responses that would be coming back my way because I just sent out 14 proposals for a new book. It was my first book. It was a book that would be the predecessor to On Fire, a book many of you have read and heard of. I sent it out to 14 publishing companies and then waited and then waited and then waited. And my friends, I kept waiting. A few of the companies got back to me. Some called, some wrote, some emailed. All had the exact same saying, though. They just weren't interested in this unknown author, this unknown speaker, this unproven topic. And so they either flat out rejected me or maybe even more painfully, they ignored me. They ignored me. Well, time passed. I reflected and prayed and journaled, had some more experiences, kept taking notes as we journeyed through life. I met a guy named Tommy Spaulding in Colorado who connected me to a gentleman out of New York named Michael Palgon. And with Michael's help and the assistance of my team, we created a new manuscript called On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. Wrote it about five years ago, sent it off to three publishing companies. All three jumped on the idea. We picked one. And my friends, Today is the four-year anniversary of On Fire hitting the bookshelves around the United States. So I wanted to share with you today two things, two takeaways from this book. One was one experience that dramatically touched me. And the second is a question I frequently get when I'm speaking, in particular when I'm being interviewed, like on the radio or television. So this book now, On Fire, has sold more than 200,000 copies It has been translated into more than a dozen languages. It's touching and impacting and elevating lives around the world. But for me, I'm not a big numbers guy. I'm not a big dollar sign guy. I'm not a big comma type guy. I'm I'm much more intrigued and turned on by like one story, one story of impact. And for me, the best part of On Fire has been getting the emails, the letters, the phone calls, and the handshakes and hugs in the back of the room with people sharing that one story with me. My favorite one story, there's been a lot, but my favorite one story was in the back of a room in Dallas, Texas. I met a gentleman who told me that he pre-ordered the book On Fire. He wasn't even sure really what it was, but he pre-ordered it. He received on a March day, a red envelope with On Fire in it. He threw it on the passenger side of his car and then went off to work. Later that day, he got a call that his daughter was in the hospital she had attempted to take her own life. He, of course, leaves the office. He races to the hospital. She is unavailable. He is shocked and stunned. This is completely unexpected, not at all what he thought was going to be part of his day or part of his life. He went outside. He walked around. He prayed. He cussed. He got mad. He was trying to make sense out of all this. So then he goes to his car. 
he opens up this red envelope. He opens it up to page one, and he reads about the interaction between a little boy named John O'Leary and his mother. He reads about a woman who walks into a situation that she was completely unprepared for. Her child had just almost passed away in a fire. Her child was laying in in the emergency room incredibly sick. Her child was dying. And she had to decide in the blink of an eye, how do I respond? How do I lead forward? How do I meet my child where he is? Not where I am, but where he is. And as he read this story about my mother's reaction, he read a story about a mother's love, about the way she came in with grace and forgiveness, profound empathy and leadership and service and listened and loved me and encouraged me. And the impact that my mother's words and presence that day, January 17th, 1987, had on that little boy, not only the day I was burned, but every day for five months in recovery, and now every day for three and a half decades that have followed. He read this, and then he goes back into the hospital. He waits for the physicians to come out. They eventually allow him to come in. He sees his daughter. She's sick. She's sad. She's scared, primarily of her father's reaction. And this father comes in, and he chooses love. He credits the book on fire with why he chose that. And then he said, John, after I read the book, I gave it to her. She started reading it, but about halfway through the book, she was taken from a hospital into a treatment center where she could no longer have a hardcover book. So page by page, we tore on fire out of the hardbound copy, and then we duct taped it back together. She said, John, we took that book with us to the next facility, and she read it. And then she read it again, and then she read it a third time. And now, John, that day that she attempted to take her own life, she thought she might not want to be here anymore. After reading On Fire, she is completely convinced and convicted that she is choosing life. I credit your mother's story with why I responded and reacted the way I did with her. And she credits your book for why today she chooses life. My friends, the the idea of a young girl reading the book on fire, wrapped in duct tape, while she slowly gets better and heals and recovers and begins creating a life plan for where she wants to go next with her journey. For me, it is such a turn on. I I wrote this book not to be in every airport in the nation or in the world, but to remind one kid that he mattered one girl that her life was valuable, one parent what real love or real life looked like, one addict that they could make a different choice and go in a new direction, one person at a time that they have the ability, the mandate, in fact, to change the world. That's why I wrote On Fire. And to get a hug from a guy in Dallas who lives in California years ago who was as moved by the book as I hoped he might be one day, that's probably my favorite story four years in. But another question frequently asked on the book On Fire is, John, what's your favorite story? And this one, when I'm asked this question, it's a little bit like for those of us who have more than one kid trying to pick our favorite child, which is not ever an easy thing to do and probably not ever anything you want to do publicly or even privately. They all should be your favorite. They should be tied for your, your, your favorite. My favorite stories include my mom, her reaction, my dad, his love. It includes the birth of my kids. It includes what my brother did the morning I was burned. Jim, talking to you right now. It includes what my sisters did, Amy and Susan, certainly talking to you right now. And then Katie and my little sister, Laura, 
their love, not only on the day I was burned, but for the months that followed and then for the decades that followed. All these are great. Another story that I love is Nurse Roy and his ability to walk alongside of me. Boy, you are going to walk again. I'll walk with you. It's a great story. What about Jack Buck? Uh, Kid, wake up. What about Gino Cavallini scoring the goal? What about the Olympian who got burned himself as a child, Glenn Cunningham, showing up in my life one week before the man passes away to remind me of the power of the words, never quit. It's just, the book is called on fire because it's, it's a reminder of grace. The story's not called on fire because I got burned. It's called on fire because of every single thing that happened the moment after the explosion. So it's packed with lots of stories that I love. But I think my favorite takeaway from the book is near the end of the book. And it's a story about John O'Leary, two and a half decades into failing miserably in his dating life, asking a girl named Beth out for the third time. And she says no for the third time. And I look down at my hands and I see hands that are fractured. I look down at my arms. I see arms that are burned. I look down at my body and I see damaged goods. I look in the mirror and I see a guy that hasn't achieved much in life and has never dated anybody. And then I go on to write about how I was feeling like kind of giving up. And I quote a guy named C.S. Lewis. I'm going to read uh, about a page and a half of On Fire to you right now. So uh, so children, grab a blanket, come a little closer to uh, the fireplace. Grandpa's going to read to you just for a moment from the book On Fire on the four-year anniversary. So I hope you like it. It begins with a quote from C.S. Lewis who wrote, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly even broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. I was ready for my heart to be unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. I was done. Done with Beth, done with dating, done with rejection, done with love. This is the place we all find ourselves at times in our lives, hosting a pity party, feeling painfully alone, broken in disappointment with only negative thoughts as company. But haven't you ever noticed that it's the only party that no one else ever attends with you? It's a gathering with room for only one. When you're all alone, the voice of fear can overwhelm. It can begin to feel like the only thing that's real. When we spend too much time concerned only with ourselves, the inner voice in our head begins to echo, doesn't it? Reverberating from side to side to side, the voice grows louder each time. The echo of fear silences opportunity. Ah, but love can break open the echo chamber. Fear is a cage where we feel totally confined, but faith is the key that sets us free. So I began praying about, reflecting on, and journaling about what it meant to be in love. I began to wonder, what does a successful, significant, joy-filled life even look like? 
and I began considering what I'd been really wanting from Beth or any relationship in life. It didn't take long before I realized that my desires had been selfish. I was transfixed on what that relationship, and to be honest, most relationships might do for me. I was so focused on what I wanted. I wanted Beth to be my date, my girlfriend, my wife, my security, even my proof that I was normal. But in focusing everything on my desires for the relationship, I was unable to just enjoy who Beth was and the wonderful relationship we had. I decided I had to stop trying to convince her that I was lovable. I let go of my fear that I would always be alone. I opened the door of my heart and loved her even though it wasn't exactly the way I had planned. In doing so, I unlocked the seventh choice to ignite a radically inspired life. Choose to let go of fear and operate, lead, and live from a place of unconditional love. It was a mighty inflection point. When we were together, I stopped worrying about me. The focus shifted to actually caring about her. Instead of me trying to get anything from the relationship, I began just to enjoy whatever time we had together. Instead of focusing on dating or desires, the focus shifted to simply loving her and enjoying the moment. No strings attached, no expectations, no hidden agenda. And it was enough. It was more than enough. It was awesome. On a cool September night, though, that changed again. Beth and I were at a wonderful Italian restaurant. Italian is her favorite kind of food. Sitting on the patio, my favorite place to sit. Shortly after ordering, she leaned over to me and said she had something to tell me. She then took a sip of wine. No, let me be more accurate. She took a mighty gulp of wine. She said over the past six months, every time she'd see me, she'd get butterflies in her stomach. She didn't know why they were there and sometimes wished they'd fly away, but they hadn't. There was silence. Then she looked me in the eye. John, what I'm trying to say, I've fallen for you. Is it too late or would you still be interested in dating? I was shocked. I didn't expect this and I did not know how to respond. So I looked Beth in her eyes and told her as sweetly as I could, sorry, Beth. I don't date sisters. Now, do you really think that's what I said? No, no. I drooled out the words, yes, let's try this, Beth. Well, we tried it. Three years later, we were married. We have an incredible marriage. No marriage, no relationship is without some challenges. We are dealing with some of the complexities and compromises of any other couple. We get squirrels in our attic, ants in our kitchen, and water in our basement. We have occasional trials with our kids, constant polls on our time, and even occasional arguments. But nothing worthy is easy. We're deeply committed to one another, we share a strong faith, and we remain totally in love with each other. She is an incredible mom. We have four healthy kids that range in age from four to 10, she faces continuous demands to drive carpool, help with homework, mend bloody knees, mitigate yelling, break up fights, clean little bodies, wash dirty clothes, get the kids tucked in, prayed up, and in bed. She does it every single day, whether I'm on the road for business or not. 
And I could not do what I do without the effort and without the love that she invests every day. And every single time I'm with Beth or any of my four favorite little ones, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. They were absolutely worth the wait. True love always is worth the wait. My friends, that is a couple pages from the book on the four-year anniversary of its release. The book is called On Fire. And the reason I love that line so much is the reality is this. I may never get burned again. That's my hope. I may never need a guy like Jack Buck to step into my hospital bed for five months and remind me, kid, you are going to live. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will, will make it all worthwhile. I may never need a guy like Nurse Roy to step in or Lavelle to clean the floor as beautifully as he does. But I know my own weaknesses. I know my own selfishness. I know how broken I am and how frequently my life, my work, my relationships, my hobbies, my nights, my weekends, my journey, my podcasts are about me, are about me. And I need to be reminded of the gift, the liberating freedom of unconditional love of unconditional love. It is what changed me as a young man to open up my heart, not just to what I could get from Beth, but ultimately to what I could give and pour into her. It changed that relationship. And I think it's changed everyone that I've been astute enough to step into with a little bit of unconditional love. And I promise you this, my friends, on your Monday morning, in choosing unconditional love today, it will change not only those lucky enough to do life with you at work, in carpool lines, at schools, and hospitals, or wherever you may find yourself, but it will also change the one that stares back at you in the mirror at the end of this awesome day. So my encouragement for each of us today is to choose to be on fire with unconditional love. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our podcast, part of our community. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you, do me a favor right now. Tell your friends, tell your family, share it on social media. Let others know that you are listening to a podcast that is worthy, that is life-giving, that sets you on fire with possibility. So share it right now. Don't wait. And thank you for being part of our community for this time. And until next time, this is John O'Leary on fire. Four years after on fire came out, reminding you to be on fire and live inspired in yours. Well, my friends, the book On Fire released four years ago today. And as you heard earlier, it impacted the lives of a couple hundred thousand people around the country and around the world. As Awesome as that is, and as remarkable, and as much as we love the book on fire, there's something I want to share with you right now that I might be even more excited about what's coming next. What's coming next is a book called In Awe. It will remind you what it once felt like to be a child with that natural optimism, that hope, that courage, that faith, that freedom that we possess as children how we lost it, how we can return to it, and in doing so, what's going to happen in our work lives, in our journeys forward relationally, in our life beyond. The book is called In Awe, and I want you to cruise over right now to check it out. Go to the website, readinawe.com. 
Go to readinawe.com. You can read the first chapter right now. You can pre-order a book and you can see what the excitement is all about. Yes, I love On Fire. I'm so honored that it has impacted as many lives as it has. But my friends, don't tell On Fire on her birthday, but you should know this. We're even more optimistic about what in awe is going to do. We want you to get a copy. We want you to be inspired by it. So cruise on over right now to readinawe.com. Check it out. You're going to love it. So thank you for celebrating the birthday of On Fire with me. Thank you for living in awe with me. And thank you for believing like I do that the best is yet to come.